welcome to the Voice of Hope with Marcia Weigum. Marcia promises to be transparent and honest to help you to rise and pursue your inborn potential to live your best life. She shares stories of faith, adversity, victory, healing, and resources to inspire your rise. Here now is Marsha Weigum. Welcome to Voice of Hope podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Her name is Trina Rodriguez. Trina will share her journey, her life lessons, and her ministry with us. I just want to thank all my partners who are partnering with us financially to produce a more and more podcast. And if you are joining us for the first time, welcome to Voice of Hope. And also, if you like what we're doing around here, please feel free if it's on your heart to partner with us financially to do so. There's going to be a link uh, on the main page to just click the support button or you can email us at voiceofhopepodcast, the number one at gmail.com. So as promised, we will share stories of inspiration and uh, faith, adversities and so on to help you rise, overcome any challenges that you face in life. And today's guest is just going to do exactly as I promised you. Trina, <laughs> who is Trina Rodriguez? Oh my goodness, I'm double. Oh. I'm messing up your name. Oh wow, no, you're not. <laughs> That's perfect. Trina, um, Trina was born and um, raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I was the um, youngest of three daughters that my mom oh. had, and mm-hmm. um, I was a my mom was a single parent and. It was the pretty rough up in Baltimore, uh, but that's that's where my my beginnings started. Right. Um, and uh, m- my mother was a drug addict as well as my father. Mm. So I grew up pretty um, fast. Let's say that um, winded up being just finding a lot of adversity early on in life. Wow. Trina, when you say mother was a drug addict, so is a father. Bring us into that. Bring us in the home, Trina. So my mom, my father wasn't there uh, much. They were both estranged um, when I was when I was born because I was kind of born out of adversity. So um, my mother was had been a drug addict ever since I could remember. And she was had a big heart, right? Loved people, always trying to help somebody to her detriment, to our detriment as a mm-hmm. family. Um, but a, a loving person, but she had this addiction that she could not shake, which ultimately um, killed her. Uh, oh. So she uh, died about nine years ago now mm-hmm. and um, of a drug overdose. But um she was she was a, a wonderful woman that had a really big heart. Wow. Yeah. Now that let me feel so emotional right now just to hear that because oftentimes we see people, you know, struggle. You you have brought up in that kind of household. 
And then we, you know, we can stay on the other side and we can judge, we can criticize. But I love all you point out that mom had a big heart. But then probably mom did not have that help that she needed, that guidance. She tried several times to get off of drugs, but she was one of those people that wanted to take people with her. So she was always trying to get her friends off of drugs. And the likelihood when you're uh, beginning to recover, the likelihood of you being able to get somebody else off drugs is less likely than them pulling you back in to Mm. that world. So as she was trying to get people to come with her out of the drug realm, Mm -hmm. they just pulled her back. And um, yeah, she winded up and, you know, she winded up overdosing and passing on. Would you you say... Then to the person who was probably out there who was in the same, similar situation, would you say it's best then to not do it alone? Because by nature, we are people who want to help each other. Right, definitely. Um, I would say that you need to, uh, to first build yourself up mm. so that you can learn and get it into your spirit. Like you have to be strong enough and you have to be in your recovery for a certain amount of time before you're able to try and help other people out. So it's just like, you know, if you're a counselor for, um, or a sponsor is what they call them. If you were a sponsor for a drug addict, you've been removed from drugs for quite a many years mm-hmm. before you, you're able to do that. And, um, I would say that if you're trying to get off of drugs first, you know, it's just like that airplane going down, you have to put the mask on yourself before yes. you can help anybody else. So until you snugly get into your recovery, you, you really can't help anyone else because it's kind of like it's drowning, right? If you can't swim and mm-hmm. someone else can easily take you down with them. So I would say always stick to your support system, um, but uh, make sure that you're strong enough before you go back for someone else. It makes sense. Makes sense. Because we can see, can you, I'm just imagining that if mom, if your mom had that support or was strong enough in a recovery, this would be our ministry because she was yes. actually helping others. Can you see that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, she has a, she wanted to help people. Definitely. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so all did this affect Trina in the home at the time? Well, because my mother was gone a lot, uh, me and my sisters were pregnant very early on in life because we had no really supervision. So we were uh, all teen, all teen um, pregnant, pregnant at, at the at teenage age. Yes. And uh, we, it was just difficult for us to uh, have a support system that was built on a, a steady foundation. Right. It was always like we were trying to survive early on yes. by ourselves. Yeah. Both of you. So three, three girls was in the home and two were pregnant at an early age. All of us, all, all three of us were pregnant at, at the teenage years during our teenage years. Who is the oldest? Was it you? No, I'm the youngest. I'm the the youngest, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, three. Um, and so we had... They were, we're all two years apart. So, um, well, one year and some change apart, not two years apart. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, because mom was gone all the time, she worked in a bar, she was gone at night. Uh, and we didn't have really anybody else in the house with us. And, you know, when you leave children unattended, 
Yes. They tend to find things to, you know, and it just happens to be like boys, right? And um, and that's kind of kind of the way we grew up. So not only that, you know, when you leave kids alone, because some some parents sometimes, you know, after leave, you have to do what you have to do to take care of the kids. But probably need to speak to those predators who know that, you know, the, the daughters are over there, the sons are over there. I want to say you, you, you they, they have to, they have a part to play to Trina. Oh yeah. Right. Definitely. Part to, the community have a part to play, you know, mm-hmm. suppose I'm a mom and I know that, you know, know the struggles over there. It's my responsibility to keep my boys from going over that. Yeah. I don't care if you're friends, mm-hmm. you know, Trina, mommy's not there. So we ain't going over there today. Or if that's the case, we'll make an agreement to, um, to come to have them come over to or also that the supervision continues right how would you how would you say the community can play a part in in um helping someone who is having a challenging time whether drugs are whatever the situation how can you think the community can play a part yeah my advice would be to find a stable family to attach yourself to mm. Right. So find some adults that care about you, you know, and spend more time with them. Right. Because that that foundation is so incredibly important. Yes. And when I had my daughters and I had three daughters as well, just like my mother at a young age, I was a teen mom. um, And. I just knew that it was so important to have a stable place for my children, right? And to to ha- to set lay a foundation. Right. So, um, why when I was raising my children, I uh, I wanted to do everything differently. That's all I knew. I, mm. Everything I tried was me trying it for the very first time and trying to figure it out. And I was trying to go to school because I wanted my children, <laughs> excuse me, I wanted my children to understand that education was important. You know, I got pregnant with the first one and I'm like, how am I going to take care of her? I don't have, you know, I don't have any education. Like, what does my future going to look like? And so I started going to school. I, you know, I made sure that they were in good school districts. I made sure that they got the education that um, and had the stable home that I did not have. Tell us how, how challenging it was. What was it like? What, what, what did you have to do? And just speak to our, you know, our audience out there who probably are teen moms or going through challenging times or probably they, you know, they have the kids and they're thinking that life is, that's it. When you're trying to do something, for one, when you become a teen mom early, you have to make some decisions about what kind of mom you want to be, right? Mm. And what life you want your children to, to experience. And I, start, I knew early on that I wanted to, something different. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to a better neighborhood. I couldn't afford private school and things like that, but I could afford to go to, to live in a little nicer neighborhood that had a better school district. You know, living up in Baltimore, Maryland, they have really terrible school districts and they have places that you can go that, that teaches you how, you know, to go to college and they, they prepare you for, you know, um, for higher education. And I wanted to be in the school, in those schools. So I moved my children to a better area and I got them into dance and basketball and volleyball. I got them into things that kept them busy. 
I always tell young parents, keep your children busy because an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Mm. And when they don't have anything to do, they tend to move toward things that are negative, not things that are positive. Wow. And so I am, I am a lucky today. And I decided, so I, I was in Maryland and then I was like, Baltimore is really getting crazy. I want to move my children to a slower pace. And Hmm. I decided to relocate to North Carolina. And so I raised my children um, from middle school on up to in North Carolina. And um, it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. But it was one of the loneliest decisions that I've ever made. Because I was trying all these things that nobody else around me were doing. I was trying Hmm. to go to school. I'm trying to raise kids. I'm trying to, you know, it took me 12 years to get a four-year degree. Because I would not give up and I wanted my children to see me finish. So um, today, because of God's grace and mercy, um, my oldest daughter is an opera singer. My middle daughter is in nursing school. She's she's trying to complete nursing school now. And my youngest daughter is the first doctor in our family. She is a veterinarian. So I say to the to the young parent, right? To the teen parent, that it's not about where you start. It's about where you end. It's about your determination to be and do better, right? It's about, you know, um, your, your persistence, right? And your, uh, your perseverance, you know, your resiliency, how you bounce back and, you know, what's more important, making sure you keep the focus. Once you have children, it's not about you. It's about them because you chose to bring them into this world. So you have to be focused on how to make them better people so that they won't be teen parents, you know, so that they won't make the same choices that you made to give them better options. You decide to be the change. And not only decide to be the change, you also decide that you want something different for your children. And I love all after realizing that the one area was not working out, you move the entire, you move the girls and you, you go to a different state. So it's not just making this decision, but we have to like continue to scope things out. Is this working? Speak to us a little bit about that. Because then it was like, okay, this is my situation. No, I'm a teen mom. Yeah, I'm on my own right now. Just empower them a little bit for me as to just keep scoping it, testing it, be ready to readjust if it's not working out. Yeah, I had to make a lot. I mean, there's a lot of failures in that, right? Then that making decisions that didn't go quite right. So you had to pivot. Yes. It's not a failure. If you try it, it's not a fail, right? It's just, you learned the way that it didn't work. And, you know, I moved to the County and I found out, okay, this is better. I moved to the County. That's good. But, and that gave them that little leg up. But then I realized that just Baltimore altogether was not a good place for us. We need to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so me um, coming down here and living here, it was, everything was just slower, right? They could focus more. You know, I put them in uh, AAU sports. You know, I, um, I made sure that, that my, my oldest daughter went to the North Carolina School for the Arts. So she went to a boarding school and she stayed there. And that's where her, her you know, singing really took off. Yes. Um, and so I just made some really hard decisions because it was hard for her to be away and not be home, right? Yes. But it was also difficult 
because I wanted to make sure that I was making the right choices and I didn't have any guidance. Right. Right. Um, And so I think that's the important thing. You have to be willing to pivot or to, to say, okay, this is not working. Let's try something else and do those things and move and act on them. And it's okay. It's okay. If you don't make the right decision the first time, right? Nobody, Mm -hmm. usually nobody makes the right decision the first time, every time. Right. And, um, I just wanted them to have, it wasn't about whether they, um, it wasn't about whether I allowed them to be in this sport or that sport or do this or do that. It was about the opportunities. All I wanted them to do is to have the opportunity Mm. to do and be whatever it was that their heart desired. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. That just reminds me of my journey when I emigrated to Jamaica because I wanted to give my kids a better opportunity. But, you know, in search of that opportunity, uh, Trina, I realized that I really didn't necessarily have to move or to emigrate from where I was. So talking about a little bit of ignorance right there. So on the journey and the challenges, I realized like, huh, all I needed was already inside of me. So probably it was an environment change, not necessarily a migration change mm-hmm. is necessary. So I love that. We have to, we have to be determined. We have to dis- make a decision to want more, to change the status quo for ourselves and our kids and our kids' kids. Okay. Who can, you know the effect that it had on you and, and your siblings. How can adults support the teen community, even before pregnancy? What would you say to the adults around? There was, as I think about that, Trina, there was just a recent thing I read of a teen mom who had a baby and she must have, you know, gotten scared and so on, but she take the baby with her, just give birth. And then she take the baby to this restaurant and she was, she was just asking for help. She said, I need help. The article read. And this one woman was in the store. She turned around and she saw what's going on. She walked up and the teen mom and the baby over to this woman and walk away. Now I, I commend her because there's yeah. so much stuff could happen in that, in that moment right there. How can we support our young people in our own, in our community? And probably if they are already become pregnant. Yeah. I would say that we had to spend time with them, right? We're, we're letting YouTube and TikTok raise our children. These mm. days. We're not paying enough attention to what they're doing, what they're interested in, trying to lead and guide them in the right direction, right? Mm. We're basically letting them be entertained and entertained is not thinking. Right. Instead mm. of picking up a book, you want them right. to look at this, you know, person that's that's setting up a precedent that's unreal. Right. That yes. you, you just woke up beautiful. You know, you there's not, you know, I'm, I'm an overnight success because I'm half dressed. Right. Jeez. And there's there's you have to pay attention to the idols that they are putting in front of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to make sure <clears throat> that you're talking to them, that you're keeping an open dialogue. Hey, what is your what is it that you want to do with your life? You know, I talked to a a team that I'm really close to and I asked her, what does she want to be? I said, so what do you want to be? And she said, I don't know what I want to be. And then she said, I want to be married. And I was like, so what do you have to offer someone that you want to be married to? Like, do you plan on doing anything for yourself? 
to build yes. yourself, right? I was like, um, you should have something to offer too. As a woman, you should have something to offer too, right? But it was just trying to get them to understand that um, it's not about other people. It's about you and what internal work that you've done. Yes. And as a parent, you have to watch your kids closely. You have to watch their moves. You have to watch who they're hanging with, who they're affiliating themselves with. And I think um, just making sure that you're monitoring them, because I think currently we're letting TV, we're letting YouTube and, and, and media. Uh, all of these social media platforms to raise our children, as opposed to letting them have good expectations and good hopes for their future. Wow. You know, as you said that, I think about these four things that I read recently in a book called Marriage on the Rock. And it says the basic needs that all human beings are instinctively motivated to satisfy all of um, our lives are acceptance, identity, security, purpose. So acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. And, I, and, and as you and I share this because when you said she said she wanted to be married, it tells me right there that it could it could mix up into these four things here that she probably want to feel accepted. She feel like if she marry, you know, he's going to provide all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But Trina, you know where substance come from. We you know who and we who in who we live and move and ever been in, and right. these four things, uh, acceptance right? It doesn't come from our husbands or anyone else or in sex or having the kids and all of those stuff. It come from our source. So I always tell my girls, I mean, my kids there, we have six kids and I don't think it's too early to start to tell them about these things, but all these four things can only be found in our source is. I mean, Trina, I know for you is God, for me is God, but guess what? If you're out in radio land, we ain't gonna, we aren't gonna dispute who your source is, but right. come to a place of knowing and identifying your source. Because until we know that, then that's how we're going to infuse that in our kids in our home. Because, you know, as you know, Trina, we are responsible for our home, right? right. I, lo- I love it, Trina. I love, I love the progression right there. The, 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 you know, your mom was a helper. She has an art of gold. Mm-hmm. Your mom was an art of gold. And even though, you know, we can, we can say, oh, she died of, of overdose though. Guess what? We hear from you, Trina, that she was, she was bringing a lot of people with her. She wanted to help. She wanted to help them. Right. Mm-hmm. Trina, then you turn, you know, teen mom eats your doors and you decide that you want to make, be the difference. And you know, you change that up. We'll see where the success of your girls right now. You are on a journey right now to make that difference. Because we are asking about community and we are saying what the adults can do. Mm-hmm. What is Trina doing right now to give back? Not only to the, um, the family and the, and the households who are suffering from drug addiction right now or the teen moms, but in women and in life in general. Tell us about femwork. Yes. Do not so, sit. Yes. Femwork has... Uh, was birthed out of out of a tragedy in my life and I have a story that I share that I'd like to share with you right now please go ahead femwork is birthed out of tragedy and then there's a story I couldn't wait to be 40 years old 40 was my magic number 
it meant that my youngest child would be 18 years old and I had reached a pinnacle time in my life. I was excited about the possibility of traveling, going on new adventures, taking risks and living life to the fullest. I was eager and ready to experience new things beginning with the purchase of my brand new motorcycle. My biggest surprise is my sister Missy had come down from Baltimore to celebrate my big day. We played cards, took turns riding a motorcycle, and just enjoyed each other. The weekend was a success, and I was energized and ready to begin my new life. But Sunday seemed to come too soon, and my sister, her son Carl, and my daughter Queen had to go. I was sorry they had to go, but my sister's presence really made my 40th the best birthday ever. On the following Friday, as I was preparing to go to work, I received a phone call. On the other end was my nephew, Carl, sobbing uncontrollably and muttering words I couldn't understand. As I urged him to calm down, I heard Queen's voice in the background stammering something about an ambulance and resuscitating my sister. I was confused, weak, and scared, but I knew one thing. I had to get to Missy, and she was five hours away. My husband and I gathered our things, collected my youngest daughter, and we headed to Baltimore. As we were in the car, I began to call my job to alert them that I wouldn't be in and to let them know what was going on. As we were in the car, my husband began to nudge me and said, honey, I need to talk to you. Can you hang up the phone? And I said, no, just give me a second. Let me get some stuff at the job straight and then I'll be right with you. And he said, no, honey, I really need to talk to you. Can you hang up the phone? So I conceded. I told my boss I would call her back. I hung the phone up and I turned to him and I was like, what? What is it that's so important? And he took this really slow, deep breath. And he said, your sister has died. And it was as if everything went silent. All I could hear was the pounding of my heart in my chest. What do you mean my sister died? She was just here last week. There's no way she could be gone, not gone forever. And then all of a sudden I heard this blood curdling scream that jolted me out of darkness into reality that my sister had died. This drive was the slowest, most miserable journey of my life. Missy was more than just my sister at times. She was my mother, my friend, my confidant. She was literally everything I knew about myself. And she was gone. And I was lost. All I kept thinking about is talking to her earlier in the week and she telling me that she didn't feel well and she had called her job to let them know that she she wouldn't be in and they threatened to write her up. Mm. And she went just three days before her death and she went to work anyway. I kept thinking, why would you go to work sick? Why wasn't you more concerned about your health rather than a dang job? When I got to the hospital in Baltimore, I found out that my sister had died of sudden cardiac arrest. Mm. And they allowed me one last glance before they covered her over with the sheets. She meant so much to me. It was so hard to let go. 
And for the next few days, I had the difficult task of preparing for her funeral. And the process was mentally and physically draining, but I made it through. Mm. I also had to go to her job to pick up her things amongst all the other loose ends that had to be tied. When I arrived at her job, her supervisor greeted me at the entrance and escorted me back to her desk. And it was a completely open space and it was dimly lit and it felt really cold. And in the center of it was a lone chair that had a sign affixed to it that read, do not sit. That sign pierced me like a spear through my heart. My sister had spent 20 years working for that company, sitting in that chair for most of it, and that's all that was left of her? A sign that the company had affixed to the chair? Is that what all her sacrificing was for? Is that the legacy that she left? I had no answers for her life. But in that moment, I realized that I had no answers for my own. During the ride home, I couldn't seem to get the vision of the sign in that chair out of my head. It seemed to have imprinted my soul. Do not sit. And that's when I decided that I didn't want to be in the passenger seat of my life any longer. I didn't want my sister's fate to be my fate. So instead of sitting, I decided to stand and do not sit became my motivation to keep moving and not to sit, not even one more day I wanted to be counted. I wanted to be heard. So today I plead with you, do not sit and waste the talents you have been given. Do not sit around and expect someone to hand you your dream. Do not sit out on opportunities to be better. And do not sit and wait for life to pass you by. Thank you. Let me remind you that you listen to Voice of Hope podcast. I told you I will share stories of adversity, faith, victory, to help you rise, overcome, and live your dreams. Yes, we are still listening to Ms. Trina Rodriguez. A work, femme work, was birthed out of tragedy. What you just heard, yeah, she's a, she's a poet. She turned reality into poem. That's a strong message. Do not sit. It sounds like that's only a strong message, but it was very piercing. You know, sometimes we get up and we go to work and we, we, we think that's, that's all there is to life. And then we never focus on what our true potentials are. A work, that's which is within us. I did a... Um a video on who could understand the plight of a black man. Okay. And that is on YouTube. Um, it's just some of my poetry that I, I, I had to get out of there after the tragedy of George Floyd. And um, I just wanted to remind our black men that I see them and I love them. And so if you go on YouTube and you, um, you search who could understand the plight of a black man, it'll come up. Femwork is an organization that was, it's a work because I wanted to help women that were like me, that didn't, didn't have the information they needed, right? To teach them how to successfully navigate through the workforce. 
Like I had to learn everything the hard way. And for most of my career, I have supported uh, C-level executives or very high level vice presidents and deans. And as a result, I've learned a lot of things um, of how to move in the workforce. So FEM work is basically women work, but FEM stands for, um, we teach we teach individuals to have faith in their ability to affect change, mm. to educate them in the area of their need, to motivate them to pursue their dreams and to empower them to take action. So we help them with whatever they need in order to successfully navigate through the workforce. Um, what I learned is there's, it's kind of like a butterfly phase yes. where you know, at first I was in high school, started off when I was just, you know, um, <laughs> just a caterpillar, right? And, yes, right. Um, when I was in high school, I walked down the hall and I saw all these, um, this list of people who had been accepted into these colleges. And I stopped one of my teachers and I was like, how did the people get into those colleges? And she right. said, uh, they were in, they were in college prep and you took secretarial science and that's why you wasn't in there. And I said, well, I didn't know that I was making a choice and, and um, I didn't know all the opportunities that were available to me. So I made a choice based on me wanting to work in the office when mm -hmm. I could have been going to college. Right. So yeah. it, that's when I really learned that there's information being held. And that's why we can't expand on our opportunities because we don't know. And I wanted people to know I wanted to help them get there faster than it took me. Right. And I wanted them to see that there is a way to break through some of these, you know, um, uh, boundaries that they have around them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want them to start building their professional brand early. I call it their visual resume. And mm -hmm. that's what I talk to them about, you know, how you show up, what your dress is saying about you how your body language speaks more, speaks words and much louder than anything you could ever say, right? Um, that the interview doesn't start in front of the interviewer. It starts in the parking lot when you leave your, your phone in the car and you, you know, make sure that you're thoroughly prepared when you walk in, right? Thinking about what you're going to look like when you show up, right? So I, I try to feed them confidence, right? I try to feed them um empowerment, right? That you have, just like you said, you embody everything that you need. It doesn't matter about your circumstances. What you have to do is pull upon those strengths that are in you yes. and cultivate them, cultivate that professional image, be committed to who that person looks like, right? And I just want the best version of them to come out. I want them to, to have options. I'm all about options, opportunities, opening up doors, and that's how I try. That's how I'm giving back for them work, because I feel like my sister worked in that job a long time and she worked at the post office. And it's not many places that you can go that will pay you like the U.S. post office. And so I felt like she felt like her options were limited. Right. Mm -hmm. And because she didn't have very many opportunities to go somewhere else and make the same amount of money, then that's why she felt like she was stuck there. And that's why she worked so hard. And I believe that it led to her demise. Is she, I'm sure she had things in her that could have been birthed and she could have figured out her purpose if she wasn't busy trying to, trying to go to a job every day, just like you said. Probably it's because of your upbringing and the stuff and the oh. tools that you did not have. Yes, combined. definitely. Yes, definitely. 
uh, I would say the cocoon phase was when I went to an interview one time. And in that interview, um, a, a girl came out right before me and we were at a, a law firm. Yes. And the girl had on this really colorful skirt and she had these big six, six inch colorful heels on mm-hmm. and she was coming there for an interview. And when she walked out, I was like, Trina, don't say anything, don't say anything. But I had to. I was Mm -hmm. like, do you know that what you have on is not appropriate for an interview? And she said, you don't think so? Mm. Because we don't know. She thought that club attire, because you're dressing up to go to the club. She thought that meant you're dressing up to go to an interview because it's dressing up. There is a difference. Right. And she honestly did not know. Mm. And so that's when I realized that there's a there's a need right and I was just just touching on like some of the things that I I try to teach like now but that was kind of the cocoon phase when it started really developing what I wanted to do right with them work and um and then the the next phase was just when I gained you know gained my wings which you know, my, my girlfriend asked me one time, she said, if you had a million dollars, what would you, what would you do? And I got all excited because I explained mm-hmm. them work to her. I want to go out and I want to help people be the better version of themselves. I want to teach them how to get hired and how to get a job. And I had all this fire and excitement in me. Yes. And she said, you know, you don't need a million dollars to do that. I was it's like, powerful. yes. I was like, wow. So it was kind of your dream. You embody everything you need for your dream to come true. You just have to get ready for it. You just have to move. So I, I, I believe that if you, say it, if you say it enough, if you see it enough, and if you move toward it, it becomes a part of who you are. So I continue to repeat to myself that I know film work is great. I know that it's going to help a lot of people. I put it up. I put it around me so that I can see it. I have pictures of film work. I have business cards. I have, you know, film work has helped this many people. And, you know, I, I put all those stuff in front of me so that I can see it. And then I talk about it as much as wonderful people like you allow me to, because if I say it enough, if I see it enough, and if I move toward it, it's going to come true. It's going to be a part. It's already a part of who I am, but there, it has no, no, um, it, it has to happen. Right. Because it's in me. And as long as I'm moving toward it and do not sit, a lot of people are going to be helped by it. Trina. If you, if I could explain, if we have enough time, I could explain how I really feel inside. I have to put my lips together to keep them, not to say, not to interrupt you, because this is what the whole thing is about. Not just Marsha and the fire that's inside and the passion and the drive to just reach someone else, but just to sit back and let you help me do this. When you said, say it, you see it and keep moving towards it. When you said, we all embodied it. It's all inside of us. It reminds me of an analogy that I love to use that says the apple has its future inside of it. What is the future of the apple? The apple seeds. 
Then some. What is it then some? The fruit that we all bite on the outside. We enjoy that. I love when you said, when your friends say you don't need a million dollars to start. I know there's somebody out there right now. They're thinking, but yeah, Marsha, you and Trina over there. Yeah, Marsha, you're doing the podcast. And yeah, we just, we understand your story. Oftentimes as we listen to the podcast, and we hear Trina is saying her daughters are successful. She looked nice and bright over there right now. <laughs> but then how do we find that purpose? And I like, if I, if I, are you going to, you're going to let you answer that. But when I, as I remember back, you said you were on the way out of the interview and you saw that young woman dressed in the way and you say you were trying to say not to say anything but you couldn't keep it back so if i may just say this and then you can expound trina is that the things that annoy us things that causes us can't you know that we can't stop we can't say turn a blind eye in it and don't say nothing that's oftentimes the purpose yes tell us about yes take us on just expound that thing that just yeah, it's just that thing that keeps gnawing at you and it keeps coming back. I uh, I thought that FEM work was birthed out of tragedy. My mm. sister had died. I read my graduation, my, my graduate school application. Mm-hmm. And in that application, it said, I'm a marketing major, but I want to use my marketing to help people to get jobs and to learn how to market themselves. And I realized that it was just another component, another sign that fem work. It was just what I thought I finally envisioned about fem work. But if you go back, you can see little signs of what you aspire to be because there's things that had happened along the way, along the journey that has come up over again and again, right? Because I didn't think that I could write. So the idea of film work, which I thought was brand new, was not brand new. It Mm -mm. was something that I had written years ago. I mean, I think it was probably 10, 12 years ago before then. But I didn't think I have always had a lot of um, anxiety around writing. Yes. And writing is the thing that brought film work to life. Writing that story about my sister doing, you know, getting out here, writing journal prompts every day, inspiring people, right? Helping them be a better version of themselves. Like that's what it's all about. It's that nagging thing inside you that keep coming back. You think you put it away and then somebody else pops up, mm-hmm. right? Because I was like, work is slow right now. And then I'm in a room on Clubhouse and Marsha is there. And so- <laughs> I'm talking to Marsha about some of my stories and uh, there you go. Another flame ignited, mm. another reminder, another, another thing that's poking die. at you to say, Hey, Fem can't die. Like you have to keep moving. You are fam. So you that's are right. It. You know, when I hear, and since I talk about that, when I were hearing on the clubhouse, you, you stood out, not because you were speaking loudly, but because mm-hmm. when, I, when I, I hear, I try to listen on purpose to hear the message out of it and the lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, I face a lot of stuff, you know, like, like you do. But I, I, I always try to grasp the lessons because then I can say, oh, I can share that. And when I heard mm-hmm. you, I heard a poet. And I know a poet because guess what? I think 
there's some in me as well. Someone just need to touch <laughs> me a little bit. I just need to say, Marsha, what you wrote? Let me hear it. A lot of teacher that uh, wrote me a note one day after, after I did a presentation. And she said, you read poems beautifully. Keep doing it. I still have that paper until today. Wow. When you spoke, I didn't know see a Trina. You're mm-hmm. a poet. You're a poet. And it's inside of you. And I love you embody everything. Do you want to share that? So to, I, I guess a couple of things. Would you say in order to find our purpose or the thing that annoys us, you know, somebody might say, I could hear a listener said, uh, Marsha, but that's everything in life annoys me. Mm-hmm. But it's not that everything we're looking for is that one thing, that thing that will cause you to stop the car and to go over lovingly and said, can I tell you about some resources? Because I have a child too who has a di- developmental diagnosis. Mm-hmm. This, the thing that will, will cause me to do a podcast like this, because the podcast like this supports and really is to empower women who just got a diagnosis that a child is going to be different or she's parent, parenting a child who has a diagnosis and all she hears is that this child is going to come to nothing. Trina, I can't tell you how many parents and things that I read that they all have a similar story. Doctors said, oh, it's going to be a vegetable. You can't do anything academically. And okay. And on top of that, termination is an option if you want it. I know it happened because I was told that. So I, I, I like, oh, you, you know, it was unfolding for us. You know, the passion that's down in there is that thing that moves you to say something when you don't want to say something. I can't tell you how many times I, I'm, I'm on the road. My family, they, they know me by now. But when I go to places and I see people and I, if there's a need, I'm ready to serve. Mm-hmm. Trina, what I just, what I realized, I, it got confirmed this past Saturday. When I was growing up, and listeners, you can look in this area too. Look back on the thing that you always said you wanted to be when you were like five, six, seven, go right back down there. Don't think about anything challenging. Just go right back there when you're a child and you jump up and say, yeah, I want to be a singer. want to be like your daughter, Trina. She says she always wants to be on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. I always said, I want, when I was growing, I was maybe about, I don't know, very young. I said, I want to be married I have a huge family of six, I mean, seven kids. I want to have seven kids and I want to preach the word of God. Mm. So this past Saturday, you know, from last year, I was doing some ministry classes. And in this past Saturday, I was licensed and ordained as a pastor. Oh, <laughs> amen. Amen. And guess what? Why, why did I share this? I share this because along the journey and we're doing life and we're doing this. Oh, I just know I want to go do, you know, learn how to teach the word properly. So I didn't even think about the dream, the vision down the road. I was just reminded of this Sunday. I was like, mm-hmm. huh, can you see this coming together? So Trina, that's where it, it's, it is. That thing down there. So don't, you know, don't be tempted to say everything annoys me. But look mm-hmm. back down on that thing. You know, if your mama is alive or your dad is alive or somebody, some adult, some good adult in your life, ask them, what did I say I always want to be? And then look and see. The path is right there. Probably you're already on the path or you just need to divert a little bit, Trina. 
Yeah. And sometimes it's that, yeah, sometimes it's that thing that you, you try to avoid to, to act like it's not the easy thing. It, it seems like it, it's the thing that may come easy to you and other people are like, I ain't able to do that. <laughs> right. And you're like, absolutely. You know, me thinking that I've really, I mean, me feeling like I, I had so much anxiety around writing. Mm-hmm. Like, how is it that writing has become my thing? Right. Yes. <laughs> how? Right. And sometimes yeah. too, it, it because it probably could, and then we could probably be doing this and going deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the, the anxiety that you felt, probably there was somebody in your life then who says, yo, you can't write. Or exactly. you, you see, you're, oh, you're not your English, your, your English teacher. Oh, if my English teacher hear me right now, they'll say, you know, you turn up my car. <laughs> but guess what? That's not about the, I'm not an English teacher teacher tutor whatever it is i just want to get my message out message of hope right Mm -hmm. so it's that thing that everyone tells you you ain't good at right that's it that that's the thing right there and then there goes the anxiety oh it's it's deep yes it is break through it as much as you can and that's why we have programs like this and that's why i want you to reach out and reach out to trina and, and um if you have a teen out there or you're a teen mom and you want someone to connect with who is your tribe. Tina, the teens are your, Trina, you, the teens are your tribe. Right. Who can they they find you? They can find me at femwork.org. And that's F-E-M-E-W-O-R-K.org. And um, it's, I actually have a 30 minute vision uh, test, I mean, a vision uh consultation that you can go through if you're trying to figure out where to go like we can actually sit down and talk to you and I will sit down and talk to you and figure out some steps that you can take right to get you to where you're trying to go to and um I just you know I just want to help I want to do my part right um everybody says that they that there are people that are assigned to them and I am committed to taking care of those people that are assigned to me so please you, reach out. Absolutely. You said that lightly, but I'm, I'm going to, if you give me permission, I'm going to change two things you just said. Mm-hmm. You said you're trying to. From today on, you ain't trying to. You're doing it. Amen. You're, the Amen. sound of your voice is going to go out. It's going out. And many people is going to be blessed. Many teens is going to realize that Trina is the leader of my tribe. I don't want, I don't want your teens because you can speak to them perfectly. When you said we're all called to a particular group, if I had my book out, read to you what the pastor charged us with last Saturday, it said, embrace the people group that God mm-hmm. calls you to serve. That's right. He didn't call you to serve everyone. Probably never mm-hmm. calls you to serve woman, a woman with a child with developmental diagnosis. But you walk the path of the teen moms. You walk mm-hmm. the path of the drug addict. Right. That's your tribe, I believe. And more and some. Right. right. People are always judging us, right? We What we want to do is we want to make sure that we provide them with a canvas in which they can make a good judgment about us. So we're the ones that can control the narrative. And we yes. need to be thinking about that before we show up. There before we speak being mindful of, um, of what comes out of our lives, even if we're not in an interview period in life, right. If it's, if it's not meant to lift up, right. 
I've always told my kids, and this is something that I'll tell you, I'm like, so what is my, my motto? And it says there's consequences for your actions, whether they be good or bad. Mm. Think about the consequence before you do the action. And that's how I live my life. When I heard you on Clubhouse, you were saying a poem. And that poem, after you told me, you were actually directing it to a, your partner. And I wanted to close us out with that poem because you oh. are a poet. Oh, Rina Rodriguez. She's going to have the last word. She's going to give us the three things she's, and then she's going to close us out with the poem. Thank you so much for listening to Voice of Old Podcast, where we share inspiration stories to help you rise, overcome, and live your full potential. Email us at Voice of Old uh, Podcast, the number one at gmail.com, or click on the link to uh, partner with us financially if it's on your heart. You know, this is the internet. You don't have to do anything, but guess what? In spite of it all, money is needed for ministry, but ministry is not run by money. We're going to serve you. We're going to equip you. That's my charge. Tina, Trina, sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Take it away. Three things and then close us out as a poet with that poem you had. Three things. I would just say the three things that I say to live a purposeful life. Is that what we want? I just want to make sure I understand. Um, if that you see it enough, you say it enough. And if you move toward it, it becomes a part of who you are. That's what's most important to me. Because if you are talking about it, if you are putting that vision in front of you, putting it out to the universe and talking about it and getting God involved and have him all up in the mix, and you're working because faith without works is dead. So if you see it enough, you say it enough, and you move toward it. It becomes a part of who you are. Um, the poem that I'd like to share is who could understand the plight of a Black man? When I think of the burden the Black man has had, no, continues to endure. The future of my sons, brothers, and fathers makes me feel unsure. During slavery, our men watched and felt powerless indeed as their women and children were taken and sold like some seed. They were shackled, beaten, forced to watch their women be raped, all creating a hole in their souls, not knowing how to escape. After 400 years of torture, they told them they were free, only to be restricted and left to wonder how to rebuild the broken family supposed to be the head but brainwashed from so many years of no hopes of being free. Then finally released with nothing, having built mansions for masters without a claim of equity. Wondering where to start, rebuild and reclaim his place in a world with no respect. Yearning to be the alpha he was born to be and trying to survive with a knee on his neck. Fast forward to today, the government aids Black families without a man in the home, only assisting those women with children and rewarding them for the man being gone. Police brutality and killings running rampant, whether you're guilty or not. Incarcerated by the masses and profiting on them without a thought or a right. Giving the jobs to Black women because they're seen as less of a threat knowing all well the man has the skills, but the job he won't get. 
Then home comes the woman with the check in her hand, waving it around and asking, how are you the man? Where in this world does the black man get a seat? Really never sitting down and never landing on his feet, stripping him little by little of his dignity at every turn of a key, finding countless ways to oppress him, which is the opposite of free. Who will hold him and support him through this dark journey called life? When not only a woman belittles him, but claims she's his wife, forever giving love that's never reciprocated and forever accepting less. Who could understand the perils of a black man when even he is unable to express the stress of finding a place in society for an alpha with golden skin that was born to leave in such a place that literally fears dishonors, discredits, and really wants him to leave. So I ask, where is the love in understanding for the plight of a Black man? You have been listening to Voice of Hope with Marcia Weigum. We're glad that you were able to join us today and that you found the program inspiring. For further information, please email voiceofhopepodcast1 at gmail.com. That's voiceofhopepodcast1 at gmail.com. Listen again next time for Voice of Hope. I'm Sydney Thorpe. Sydney Sizer is here to help you meet your audio recording needs. Call or WhatsApp 876-281-2801 or you can email me at sidnesizer at gmail.com or sidnesizer at outlook.com or you can Skype me using Sydney Sizer as my Skype name. Sidneysizer. We can talk. Sidneysizer, where we love to make good things happen. <laughs>